Things change from one generation to the next. Attitudes, politics, technology, even lifestyles. But when it comes to business, there's one thing every generation has in common. The pursuit of excellence. Welcome to Generation Excellence. A conversation with next-gen leaders of family businesses who are working to preserve the past and innovate the future. And now, here's the host of Generation Excellence and a third-generation business owner himself, Jamie Michelson. Jamie? I have the privilege of knowing our next guest for just over 35 years. Steve Don is the proud and talented CEO of Edward Don & Company, a leading distributor of food service equipment and supplies across the U.S. In our wide-reaching conversation, you'll learn about the founding of the company 100 years ago, the transition into the second and third generations, and Steve's optimistic take on what's ahead. Edward Don and Company has consistently been ahead of its time on setting policy and governance for what they call a business owned by a family. I promise you'll look at things differently the next time you eat at a restaurant. Please enjoy episode number 29 of Generation Excellence with my friend, Steve Don. I welcome Steve Don, CEO of Edward Don Company, to Generation Excellence Podcast. We've known each other a long, long time, but there's so much of your personal business journey and your your family's business story that I don't know, and I'm kind of looking forward to learning and capturing. Uh, so, if you know math isn't that hard, this is as we sit here in early 2021, the hundredth anniversary year of the business. Is that correct? Yeah, we were founded in 1921. So yes, as you said, it's not that hard. It's easy to do. It's 2021. Uh, interesting year to have our 100th anniversary. Never thought of you in the midst of a pandemic, but yeah. uh, makes it that more uh, uh, exciting to go through it. And what, I mean, what, you know, every business, they say every big business starts as a, a small business. What, what, what is the, the origin of Edward Don and company? Like, how did it start? Uh, obviously, Edward Don is founder, but what, what, what's sort of the story sure. that you know and keep so, alive? So the legend goes, and uh, <laughs> I, I only know as it's been passed down from generation to generation, is that uh, it was started by Edward. So he was the eldest of 11 siblings. Oh, wow. Uh, so uh, he started it and got his name on the door. Um, and the legend is, is that, some of the brothers worked for a company that was in uh, the party supply business in Chicago. And like many uh, immigrants into this country, they sort of looked around and said, this is you know, a nice job, but the likelihood that we go very far in this company is not very high. So why don't we go off and try and do this on our own? Okay. Um, so they started, uh, as the legend goes, uh, in 1921, with no inventory, no product, no nothing, uh, went on the streetcars of Chicago, uh, got some orders, went the next day to the market, bought the goods, uh, delivered <laughs> the goods to the customer, uh, and tried to collect the money. And then, uh, you know, over time, they've got other brothers and sisters involved as they grew, eventually building a warehouse and um, at one point, all 10 of the 11 siblings worked at the business. Wow. wow. And back in the old days, um, the legend was that in most cities, there was a sh uh, restaurant supply or bar supply uh, pre-prohibition. Uh, most of them were bar supply because sure. there weren't a lot of restaurants before the prohibition. And there were showrooms and you went to the showroom in Chicago, New York, LA, 
um, and you bought your stuff. And then a couple of months from the time you went to the showroom, the stuff showed up in your town and you outfitted your restaurant. And the one sibling who didn't work in the business worked for Spiegel. So Spiegel was a Chicago-based catalog, catalog company. company. Sure. Yeah. And he said, look, you guys can't afford a showroom because you don't have any money. So why don't you do what Spiegel did and have a catalog and bring the showroom to the customer? Um, so there's pictures on our website of, you know, they were the first with a truck and it said, you know, order today, deliver tomorrow. Uh, so that was, their was point were the that, trucks red and yellow at that point? It's kind of the no, right icon of the business. Was, okay. That was a black and white world back then. Okay. So, uh, uh, so yes, today our trucks are red and yellow, but in the, uh, old days, they were sort of, uh, a darkish color with a two-tone logo. So. It was a much different monochrome look than it uh, is today. I was going to ask about when the trucks came into existence and are kind of. So the trucks have been around. Uh, Everyone asked, do you have that old truck? Uh, So so, some like, unlike some other businesses that had the foresight to uh, keep an old truck around, we we never did. And we haven't, you know, done a replica, but we have plenty of pictures in the archives. And then the, uh, you know, the, Red and yellow sort of came out uh, in the 70s. Okay. Uh, so that's when they switched. It used to be more of like a, a yellow and brownish, and then they went yellow-red. So from all those siblings in the first generation, what's the kind of transition to the second generation and how that sure. go so, about? Uh, how orderly or was it or wasn't it? Yeah, that's a really good story. So uh, it didn't go very well. Um, so like many businesses, um, the, the main driver of the future of the business was in the fifties, Edward passed away. Okay. And there's a very, uh, uh, no one appellate case. You can look it up if anybody's interested, Edward Don and company versus Offland. And what happened was Edward's heirs. Um, claim that Edward owned 51% of the business and the other siblings only owned a pro rata share of the remaining 49. Okay. Uh, and there was a 97 day trial. Wow. Uh, and that eventually wound up in the appellate uh, court system. And I believe they actually wound up settling uh, the case before uh, it worked its way all the way through the appellate courts. Um, so that was the first of many different buyouts of different family members. So uh, Edward was unfortunately the first, uh, and then at various points in time, different uh, branches of the family wanted to get out. Uh, So eventually it became down to my dad and three other families. And in 1986, there was a lot of consolidation in the food side of the uh, distribution business. So our, our slogan is everything but the food. Um, so it's mainly, mainly restaurant equipment and supplies. So we sell everything from the kitchen equipment that you cook it on to the serving utensils to the uh, takeout packaging. And then, yes, we sell urinal screens and a lot of males recognize oh, your brand from, from the restaurants. They, yes. they, they think that's our primary business. But no, that's a very small piece of our business. But uh, so in 1986, my dad bought out his remaining family members. Um, and so 
uh, I joked that, uh, you know, he, he did us a favor. So we're a family business with not a lot of family in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have all the benefits of, you know, so we're a third generation business um, and everyone knows the statistics um, in family business, but those who aren't, it's only 10% that make it to the third generation. So, you know, we're a third generation business, but we don't have the cousins, the cousins uh, in the consortium was already yes. yeah. yeah, that makes it very difficult when you have a bunch of people who are looking uh, for leadership roles and there's not enough seats at the table and all the horror stories. And we've participated in uh, several different family business groups. So a uh, shout out to the Loyola Family Business Center <laughs> and then the uh, Kellogg Family Business Center. Uh, have been both very helpful for us uh, in dealing with family business topics and learning from other families. Because just like any business topic, you know, other people have gone through it. So if you have an issue, uh, it, it's definitely beneficial to talk to other people, learn, nope, you, uh, you, and not have to make the same mistake that others have. You've, done, you've been so. a resource for me over the years on that. And it's kind of why we're doing this. So your dad's obviously involved in the business from early years. What is your like first memory or exposure to this business is, uh, you know, I guess a young kid. Sure. So um, my first memory of the business was we were originally located uh, in the south side of Chicago on the outskirts of Chinatown. So okay. literally right next door, if uh, two, 221 South LaSalle Street uh, was... 2201 South LaSalle Street was our address. So 22nd LaSalle, uh, literally next door to the gates of Chinatown. So my earliest memories were going down on Sunday afternoons to the warehouse, meeting my grandfather. Uh, This was a um, multi-level warehouse. So many of them have been converted into loft buildings. Uh, it had, if you see in the movies, the big uh, elevator doors where it opens from both sides, right. uh, actually vertically. Tremendous so the, tremendous weight could go on them, right? Yeah, okay. exactly. Yep. And then there was also, so in addition to the freight elevators, there was also ramps like you see in a parking garage between floors. So we used to go uh, uh, down on Sunday afternoons and they had these vehicles that the sales, that the warehouse managers would drive around. So my memory was driving around on the yeah. ramps up and down uh, in the warehouse. So, uh, you know, and then we would go to Chinese food uh, for Chinese food, you know, as a family afterwards. I figured that was part of the connection. And then, yes. so the, the I, and, but in your business, even you talk about some of the counseling and things from some of those entities like Kellogg, uh, from what I remember, you know, had kind of a policy of, family members entering the business, even when you were like in school and stuff. So that was kind of formalized, which other family businesses have adopted since. So your, your particular journey wasn't, you know, you couldn't just enter this business, even if you chose to, but when you were, I mean, did you always kind of know you're going to do it? Did you think I'm going to do something vastly different? What was kind of, because I always thought I'd do something different than the family business and then have been in the advertising business my whole career. So. Yeah. So Right. So, so my dad had a policy because uh, he had learned through these other family businesses mm-hmm. of best practices was to have outside work experience. Um, but he also added uh, outside work experience in an MBA or a law degree. So I knew, you know, that I thought I wanted to go into mm-hmm. the business, you know, uh, 
it was an interesting business, you know, in terms of it's involved with restaurants. So, you know, I always joke that it's not like we make uh, uh, fasteners that go into some other product and you're selling to, you know, another manufacturer. So, you know, I, when I was younger, I had the benefit of going to the hot restaurant opening. So back in the day, uh, you know, they'd have big flashy openings and right. they'd have uh, um, sort of mock service where you could go, you know, and try the place out, and try the yeah. place out and they needed guinea pigs. So they do the mock service for one week and then they'd have, you know, uh, a VIP opening uh, mm -hmm. with press and a PR firm. And, you know, it was, you know, neat to do when you were a, you know, either college kid or you know, right out of college. Um, so I thought I had an interest. So, you know, I had to check the boxes. So, uh, I went to college, got a job, uh, went to business school, was going to go work, uh, on wall street. Um, I worked on wall street out of school. My first job I was interested in real estate and, uh, had a pretty low level job and then got a job, uh, doing an event investment banking analyst. So I went to Kellogg mainly because I hey, went to Wharton undergrad, which is in finance and marketing. I really like marketing. Yep. Um, and so I went to Kellogg because it was the anti-Wharton, you know, so I figured I, I got, combo, uh, yep. I got, yeah, I needed the softer skills, the HR, the operations. And, uh, you know, it was also a nice break. Uh, Salman Brothers works you pretty hard. So uh, business <laughs> school, uh, yeah, it was a, a nice little break for a couple of years. Um, I worked at Disney for the summer. Because uh, I was curious what corporate America was like, and I learned that uh, you know you worked just as hard as an investment bank and made twenty five percent of the money. So I was going to work <laughs> hard; might as well make the money. Uh, and I, I also learned that I like to work in investment banking a lot more than I thought. You know, because when you're working eighty hours a week of a recent uh, college grad, you think it's not so great, and then you work in corporate America and it's a little bit slower paced and mm -hmm. a lot more politics. And I was like, okay, I sort of like investment banking now. You know, the theory that grass is always greener on the other side. Yep. So I uh, saw the grass and realized uh, I liked investment banking. I was going to go back to New York. And then I got a call from my dad saying now or never. And okay. uh, then the didn't know what the question was. It was, well, you need to come work for the business now or never. So I uh, didn't do a very good job of negotiating. He agreed to pay me the lowest mm -hmm. of anybody of my graduating class in Kellogg. Um, so that's what I got. And I started in sales and I, uh, worked the worst territory that we had in Elgin, Illinois, calling on, uh, pretty low level accounts door to door. Uh, and that's how I learned the business. So I knew a lot about finance and real estate and I knew nothing about selling restaurant supplies. Sure. So, and, 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 uh, so you've been with the business for how long? When was that that you joined it? I started in 1992. Cool. So, and and going on 29 years. And one of the things that you've done, I guess, more recently in in part of the growth has been through some acquisitions, right, of some other um, yeah. businesses like yours, and with with different geographies, territory, and and so kind of in you know ingraining and bringing them into. Don Company, how 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 do you characterize your culture and 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 explain that to these new organizations that become part of yours? Yeah, so culture is very important for us, uh, not only in our business but also uh, in the businesses that we have acquired. So um, we're a very customer focused company. Yeah. 
and that's a big part of our culture. Um, so getting back to it before we get into the, so part of the culture is the role of uh, that the family plays in the business. So okay. we, um, you know, we have a employee orientation and onboarding process where, um, you know, there's a uh, presentation of the history of the company that I do. And part of it not only talks about the culture of the company, but the role of the family. So we, okay. um, you know, sort of talk about how we are stewards of the business and that the Dons were here to serve the business and a business wasn't here to serve us. Mm-hmm. And in family business, you're either, well, you should be one of two things, but not everybody, either business first or family first. And there's no right answer, right. Um, you know, but we were a business first family. Um, so that meant that we said that Edward Don and the company was a business owned by a family and not a family business. So, you know, you couldn't come work at Edward Don and company just because your last name was Don, yep. at least since 1986. So pr- prior to my dad buying the business, that wasn't the case. Um, so, you know, he put that in place. So, and it's pretty important. So you, and then if you did work in the business, it was a meritocracy. You only got to where you would get to based on merit, not based yep. on last name. And then in terms of our customer focus, uh, we always said the customer came first, then the business, uh, then our associates and then shareholders. Um, and in most family businesses, that's not the case. You know, family comes first. Um, and we talk about even in public companies that, you know, shareholders are almost as important as customers in public companies, because if the shareholders aren't happy, the CEO gets fired and nobody's happy. Um, so before we got on, you were talking about Danny Meyer and his empire and hospitality. And he says, if our people who work here aren't happy, then the guest isn't happy. And it's just a, yeah. You, know, you got to pick that lead, that lead horse. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Be consistent with it. Yeah. Uh, so we we always felt that you know the customer. If you don't have customers, you don't have anything. And we always talk about that. You know, even your you no know, your paycheck might be signed by somebody in the bottom right. Uh, you know, the the customer is the reason why we're yeah. here. And then we also have a discussion about you know our job. You know, is really. To make sure our customers are successful. Yes, we sell restaurant supplies, but really what we sell is products that make the end diner happy. And if uh, if our customers are successful, they'll build more restaurants and eventually buy more stuff from us. So over this the hundred years, I mean, there've been a lot of win, a lot of wins and things you've done right and read. You talk about the explosion of restaurants, post of prohibition, all these different things. I guess what would be one example of of like a really smart call and reading the tea leaves and then maybe sort of that thing in company lore that didn't go so well the experiment that is remembered for if not call it a disaster but but just the something that went off the rails oh. we we i don't know if i can pick so many that are so right so uh <laughs> you know we've had a very good you know p- part of our sort of well at least my secret to success is that we have not gone crazy chasing the new shiny object we've been very disciplined that uh you know what we're really good at being a distributor Mm -hmm. um so you know we buy stuff by the truckload uh we sell it by the each or the case and we're really good at getting stuff to customers so we had a um we had a retail store um and everybody loved our retail store in downtown chicago an outlet store on halstead street and uh, you know, everybody loved it, but we didn't make much money there. 
and our lease was coming due and um you know the uh the landlord wanted to double the rent because it was in a very hot area of chicago and we had uh cbre was our real estate broker at the time and you know we had the retail comp people come in and say oh you should build hundreds of these and you know this is great and uh i made the call you know we're not going to renew the lease and we're going to shut the outlet store down it was a distraction um when my what my um manager of the outlet store didn't tell me was that uh somebody came in from oprah winfrey's show the thursday before thanksgiving and it was rachel ray and oprah had a thing about you know how to throw a party and rachel ray was there with a the camera crew saying you know go to a restaurant outlet store like edward donna company you know and, oops you know and then we shut it down uh three months later but <laughs> it was it was the right call and i see I, we wear a lot of logo shirts for trade shows and stuff people I'll see them and they'll be like, we loved your outlet they store. From that why, store. Yeah. Why'd you shut it down? And I'd be like, well, because you didn't buy enough stuff from us. And, and then the, the funny thing was, you know, um, at one point, you know, we live in a town where, uh, you know, everybody's trying to outdo each other. I'm not one of those types of people, but, uh, you know, somebody once said something to my wife was like, I don't understand why people think Edward on such a big business. I went by it on Halstead Street at some dinky little retail store. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the one the experimental retail concept, yeah. right? The yeah, which works for some people and not others. Yeah. Um, so as you you know, the hundred things a pretty neat milestone, but so it like it you both plan and want to celebrate that but your, you know, businesses are never done. It's not like, Oh, we've hit a finish line. Right. Sure. So what are, what are you kind of, it keeps you energized and fired up for, you know, the coming bunch of years, you're going to still be, be leading this thing. What do you, yeah, as you said, you're not chasing the shiny object. You're very disciplined, but right. what do you, what do you well, see out there in the future? Well, let, let's talk a little bit about where we currently find ourselves today. Yep. So, you know, so, um, forever that people have talked about the restaurant business being recession resistant and you know even in a bad economy uh you know our business only went down five to six percent and it was pretty stable um but we didn't realize was we weren't pandemic, pandemic proof yeah uh so nobody envisioned that the entire industry was going to be shut no. down and that the cdc was going to say that it's not safe to go into restaurants um which i have a biased opinion but it seems that it's a little harsh um, that you could go into a nail salon and somebody could sit three feet from you and touch your nails and that's okay, but you can't eat in a restaurant, but I'm not going to argue with it. Uh, but uh, so one thing that's very exciting is, you know, we've basically been able, uh, you know, to, we're a hundred years, but, you know, it's going to be uh, um, AC after COVID almost yeah, that yeah. Uh, we have before COVID and after COVID. So our business, so we were down pretty significantly uh, in 2000. The good news is things are starting to come back. So, you know, our goal right now is to get to back to pre-COVID as quickly as possible. Right. Um, it's going to be certain sectors of our business. We deal with cruise ships and we deal with some theme parks, which we can't say their name, but you can imagine who they might be. Sure. Uh, um, and, you know, so it's going to take a little while before uh, business travel comes back. People have gotten used to Zoom. People, we still are 
a relationship business, relationship driven, um, you know, business. So I think, you know, people will start to travel again. It's just going to take a little bit longer than I think right. than people right. will personally travel. I think, you know, as soon as everybody gets their vaccine and gets the all clear, you know, we've all been in our houses and in our local communities and people are uh, anxious to get out there, see friends, relatives, have celebrations, uh, weddings, bar mitzvahs, graduations, all those things we missed out for the last 12 months. So, um, so that's the thing first that keeps me uh, excited is that we basically, you know, have reimagined our business. Uh, it's still the same business it was, but we needed to think differently, do things differently, and it will be uh, exciting as things get back to a little bit more normal speech. And, and then I, I root for that for you and for the world, I guess, because um, yeah. also, is that, a, you know, a lot of our clients are in those same industries too and very hampered, have been. Yeah, and so, you know, uh, I think to begin with, we're going to be in a hybrid work world. So, you know, we had never been a remote company. Obviously, mm -hmm. we had salespeople who were remote, but, uh, you know, the good news is we had disaster recovery plans and we had done drills, so we knew how to go to a remote. Um, but you know, to have uh, overnight, uh, sure. everybody in the company being uh, remote workers, other than obviously our warehouse and drivers need to be in the building. Then um, they've been great showing up, you know, during these challenging times. Um, but so the hybrid work world, you know, is a new thing for us. So that would be a, an exciting challenge to see how that unfolds and uh, getting people back in the office uh, for at least, you know, some part of the week and uh, continuing to do, you know, the best of both worlds. I think when you said earlier that idea of, you know, the customer is the reason why we're here, you, you have a really clear guide as to if you do some of these hybrid things and how, if that's working well or not to be able to adjust or do where you're, you know, other companies are going to be a little fuzzier as to why they're discussing that. Like you, you, you really know how that place operates and who you're serving yeah. and, and, People may have gotten used to something over the past year or enjoy it, but it still has to work in the long haul, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, some, that was always- I a, concerns about it myself. That was always a challenge for us. You know, everybody wanted summer hours. So it was a big thing for some of the big CPG companies that, sure. uh, you know, they got Friday afternoons off, you know? And so everybody wanted summer hours and I get it, you know, summer, particularly in the Midwest, you know, it's, it's nice a short here. period yep. of time and people want to be outside. And so our always our struggle with summer hours at first was, well, we do have customers on a Friday afternoon that call us and yep, say, hey, I didn't realize that I have a wedding and I don't have champagne glasses. And yes, that really happens that they, sure, yeah. you know, either somebody dropped, you know, uh, a tray of them uh, <laughs> or they, uh didn't realize that there weren't any back in the uh, supply closet. And we get that call on Friday afternoon and have to rush 200 dozen champagne glasses to a big hotel. Um, so that was always one of our biggest challenges. So then we figured out, okay, well, we can have half the people uh, in customer service um, stay. And so we had alternate work schedules and okay. you know found a way to do it, but we had to make sure that some people were there because there are emergencies. and. Yeah. Uh, we learned the hard way. There was a, a famous story how back in the old days, we used to shut down on uh, New Year's Eve for uh, physical inventories. So this was before okay. we had a nice ERP system where we do cycle counting every day like we do today. And, you know, back then, theoretically, you were not supposed to ship anything during the uh, inventory count. And we had a very 
a successful chain restaurant that needed steak nice for New Year's Eve. <laughs> and one of our general managers who ran the Florida division said, no, we don't ship anything. And, you know, yes, the auditors prefer that you don't, but we easily you could have made an accommodation. And, you know, was it 100% by the book? No. Uh, is it illegal? No. Um, should they have done it? Yes. Did they do it? No. Did we lose that chain for 25 years because of it? Yes. Um, so the good news is we got that customer back, but the bad news was, you know, because we didn't ship something because we were doing inventory, we lost a pretty significant customer. And yeah, because of you, when I go to restaurants, I look at the knife and the, and the, I look for whose names on those things, not, not just in the men's room. So is there uh, for the next generation, is that in the cards, in the plans, uh, you know, across family? What's, what's, what's the view on that? What's the thinking? What are the well, possibilities? I have two very, very uh, intelligent, capable children who I am, uh, you know, um, basically asking that they go pursue their dreams mm-hmm. uh, and do what they want to do. Um, and if at some point they want to come back and do this, great. Uh, if they don't, I'm also okay with that. Uh, you know, business is getting harder and harder every day. Sure. Uh, particularly the business that we're in, and you know, I think it would be uh, and they great if front row seat to this last year. I'm sure. So. Right. hundred yeah. percent. They actually did because they were back from college doing their zooms mm-hmm. uh, on the kitchen table while I was in my office. So um, I love my kids. They're going to be tremendously successful, and I think they should go do whatever they want. Um, and you know, I, I I felt pressured, you know, even though it was unsaid, to come back into the business. And they might hate me for it, but they might not have the opportunity uh, to come into the business. Totally understand. Uh, now, a couple last questions because we kind of looked at you know the past, and and you've, you've expressed well what you're dealing with right now, and and even. The, you know, the future of the business. It just, um, how, how would you describe your leadership style? Um, that's interesting. So I'm- uh, Or how would others describe it? Sure. Well, I don't know. I have to ask them <laughs> I describe it differently than I do. But um, I am, I'm probably, you know, in terms of uh, overall, you know, I believe in the servant leadership style mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm here to serve. And I'm probably an enigma- that I, I try not to meddle and uh, get involved in things that I shouldn't. And on the same token, um, I know a lot about the business because I've worked in every separate yeah. division. I've worked in operations, I've worked in sales, I've worked in the computer systems. I'm not an IT guy, um, but um, so I have, I, I know I annoy my team that, uh, you know, they'll do a bunch of work and I'll look at a spreadsheet or something. And I'm say like, you know, I'm shocked that this item, you know, isn't moving because it's a very viable item and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and then sure enough, they'll come back and they're like, I don't know how you've, you know, on a 200 page spreadsheet, you pick that one item out. So, um, you know, you I, I, yeah. I try to be pretty strategic, but at times uh, I can get a little tactical. Um, but I, I really try and hire good people and let them be successful. So um, we've got a very good team. We've got a lot of people who've been around for a long time. Um, 
And, you know, I, on the acquisitions, we've tried to, uh, you know, make sure that they uh, get the benefit of being involved with a very large company, but not lose uh, their local personality. Um, and sometimes we can be perceived as being inflexible because we're running SAP uh, and it's a very disciplined system. So, you know, some of, at some point times, it seems like we're not flexible, but when you're, uh, you know, running a company with seven distribution centers and we're doing a billion in sales, you know, having standardization really helps because sure. you're not dependent on any one person or any one moment of time. You know, you really need to make sure that you have systems in place that are, you know, pretty not only redundant, but repetitive and things are, are getting out the door when they should get out the door. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you really have the systems for systems, the systems for the human capital part of it, people. Yeah. And, and putting those things together. Anything you yourself are kind of working on as a new skill or trying to learn about or exploring or? Um, I, I probably need to do more of that in business, but uh, um, I, I continue to chase uh, the dream of being a better golfer, uh, okay. which I think uh, a lot of us uh, during the pandemic used as a escape because uh, it was the only thing available to us. So yeah. uh you know, the, the golf therapy uh, at five o'clock in the afternoon, particularly at the beginning of the lockdown. Um, so in Illinois, we were only allowed to play in twosomes. Um, so my son and I would go walk nine holes, um, you know, at five o'clock at night. It was oh, time I didn't even know they, with... they'd gotten it down to that level of the space oh, yeah. of two people. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I won't I'm not say sure anything about, yeah. So we, we had that they, at first, there was no golf, and then it was twosomes yeah. only. And then to accommodate uh, the amount of play, you could only play nine holes I see. Uh, as a twosome. But it, it was a nice break from uh, the Zoom calls all day long. And, you know, I guess last couple of questions I have. I mean, because you've been serving restaurant food service industry for so long, and you've seen a lot of restaurants and been to them and enjoy it personally as business, like, what's your favorite restaurant on the planet? Oh God! So I can't answer that because I'll offend somebody. Maybe somewhere that's in another nation that's not one of your customers or something. <laughs> it is inspiring, or yes, you have that's um, probably a bad. So, idea. so I I like to eat. So you know I I enjoy food. Um, sometimes a little bit too much. Um, I I I will say. I admire the creativity of the restaurant uh, industry to yeah. figure out a way to survive during the pandemic. I, um, being a Chicago guy, I had never had a Detroit style pizza. <laughs> and all of a sudden, because it started out with the sourdough craze, a lot of our customers are uh, <laughs> making sourdough pizza. Some of it are only doing it as a ghost kitchen and to go. So I would say that'd be one of the benefits of the pandemic. So a little shout out to your hometown of Detroit there. Yeah, no, it's, it's one of our good exports and we had, you know, buddies pizza was a client for a bit of time with us and, and uh, yeah, regionality of pizza is fascinating. Uh, yeah. I mean, cause I like Chicago deep dish pizza and watch that come here. So. Yeah. I, I'm, I like pizza. That's one of my Achilles heels is uh you know, I, I can eat too much of it. And I, I like thin crust. I like New York style. I like the Chicago sort of tavern style, which is a sort of a cracker crust. And, you know, there, there's no shortage. And obviously, uh, 
Dave Portnoy is, uh, you know, made a big publicity on the uh, pizza around the country and the uh, the bar stool world and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, and for you, what's the what's the most fulfilling thing for you about this generational business? You know, uh, the one thing is a third generation. Um, you know, you always worry about being the ten percent who don't get there and screwing the 3% it up. Percent to the Except, yeah. yeah. So I, you know, um, to me, I you know, I I love the fact that you know the pandemic's actually been horrific for us, but I think the fact that we got through it, yeah, um, and we have always um, really done well coming out of a crisis. So unfortunately, I've been the CEO since. Uh, basically, uh, 9-11, which is right. you know, obviously an awful point for our country and had a huge impact on the travel industry and the restaurant industry. And, you know, from 2002 to 2008, we had a great run. And then uh, you know, we had the great financial crisis. And that also, you know, impacted our industry for a couple of years. And then we had a great run from uh, you know, basically 2010 to 2019. And I think we'll have another great run from 2021 till, you know, Buzz Lightyear, infinity and beyond. <laughs> I, I, Steve, I hope you and the Edward Don company have that great run. I hope a lot of us have that kind of run. I think these businesses that have that generational story, one of the things they say is they've been through world wars and 9-11 yep. and other things. And there's this resilience built in, but you're never sure there's nothing guaranteed and you got to like work at it. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm glad, even though we've been trying to do this for a while, that we're doing it with more light at the end of the tunnel. And for sure. You know, I always, uh, is you know, story. is there anything else I forgot to ask you or you'd want to add? No, no, not at all. But, uh, this, you know, you mentioned the surviving the world wars and, you know, we survived the Great Depression and uh, prohibition was a big yeah. issue. Um, but, you know, we would go to these family business uh console um, meetings and uh, you know there'd be some European business there they are they all tended to be in the wine and spirits business of it but you know they you know eight generations and right. they survived two world wars you know and they a lot of them were fought you know in their country so you know it was firsthand they lost everything made it back you know and um, you know so it's amazing where you know in the U.S. it's a big deal to get to three and you know, it's, it's amazing these European families yeah, that uh, have been able to thrive and survive, you know, uh, through all types of different challenges. Oh, I got some new targets for the podcast <laughs> going overseas. Yeah, okay, Steve, for I sure. I really, really appreciate you doing this. And, and well, thank you, Jamie. I, 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 I know you, but I learned a bunch and uh, I, I look forward to seeing you in person soon. You can rag on my golf game. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to Sam Daly, Eric Head, and Joel Bienenfeld at SMZ for helping make Generation Excellence, well, excellent. Until next time, I'm Jamie Michelson.